Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Welcome to Calvary Chapel South Bay and to our evening service here on Thursday night as we continue our journey through the book of Isaiah. And I want to take just a moment, if you have not yet seen it, you can go online either to our website, so ccsouthbay.org. You can always go to ccsouthbay on Instagram or on Facebook or to my personal, which is Jeff Gill, CCSB, on my Instagram. And you can see a little update that I did. Uh, for this next little period of time as we continue uh, with this COVID-19 lockdown and why we're doing what we're doing. So I just encourage you to go there. I want to spend a couple of minutes before we dig into the Word just praying for our nation. Uh, It is troubling. It is mind-bogglingly complex. It is affecting virtually everyone. Uh, And so in a time of trouble, Let's learn from the children of Israel. Let's learn from those that have gone before us. And when we don't know what to do, uh, we know where to go and who to ask. And so let's seek the Lord and we'll ask him to bless our time here in chapter 23 of the book of Isaiah. Father, we come tonight as your children. Lord, we are this generation. We are the ones who are here on this earth at this pivotal point in history for not just America, but for the world. Lord, as we face so many enemies, and Lord, all of them spurred on by the wicked one. Lord, sin being rampant in our country. And we ask you right now to calm hearts and minds and anger and angst, Lord, hatred, the things that are stirred up in our nation uh, simply because people don't understand one another or they won't stop to listen, to hear each other's cry of heart and to be compassionate and tender and kind as you are to be loving. Lord, the problem is sin. We have all, every last one of us, been created in your indelible image. Lord, you made us after your own heart. You created mankind equal in all ways. Genetically, Lord, we're 99.9% the same, all of us. And yet we're being divided along racial lines and political lines and economic lines. And we ask, Lord, unless you step into this situation, we surely will never know what to do. But worse yet, this this could be the beginning of the end. And God, we believe that there are billions of people that need to hear the gospel and be saved. And so we ask that you would cause the church to rise up as warriors in prayer and bearers of truth that you would work powerfully in your church. Lord, get the church off the couch and into the workplace and the world. 
Make us prosperous for your plans and purposes, we pray. Bless us as we study your word. Cause us to have peace in this moment of turmoil. Calm the storm, Lord. Help us to see your face. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you turn to Isaiah 23, as we continue our journey, we're coming to the end of these chapters, which are a series of burdens where we have 11 different nations that are named. The city of Jerusalem itself named. But it's a picture for us, and there's some lessons that we can learn from these chapters collectively. And there are certainly lessons that we can learn looking at the history of the world. And so tonight, the burden of Tyre, this port city on the Mediterranean coast that's in modern-day Lebanon, but it was the home of the Phoenicians, probably the greatest ancient seafaring people, certainly the greatest in the Mediterranean. Their capital city was Tyre. Its sister city, Sidon, very nearby, just a, a scant eight miles or so. This city was allies with the children of Israel, beginning in about the 10th century B.C., and King Hiram of Tyre was instrumental in, in building, actually, the temple in Jerusalem. As we see this unfold, we really are looking at a, at a nation that once was, at least marginally, for the Lord's people, but turned against the Lord's people. And we see what happens to nations when they turn against the Lord. As I was studying this afternoon, it really struck me that we are at that place in our history of our nation where we're not just turning against each other, but worse yet, we're turning against the Lord. Because sin is always an abomination to God. Pride is an abomination to the Lord. Taking advantage of the innocent, an abomination to the Lord. Inequity, seeing, seeing people use one another, it's an abomination to God. And so the problems that we face are very much like the problems we faced in the ancient world. Except we have so many blessings that it's hard to imagine that in the world that we live in, that we should be at this place. And so I ask you to endeavor over these next couple of weeks to just simply pray for the Lord to send his spirit to move in our nation, in our world. It's a pivotal time. Verse 1, Isaiah 23, the burden against Tyre. Wail, you ships of Tarshish, for it's laid waste so that there's no house, no harbor from the land of Cyprus that is revealed to them. As the chapter unfolds, we begin with this verse because we have to really understand where we're talking about and who we're talking about. In the Mediterranean, if you were to look at it in a, in a horizontal plane, on the southern side, you have the northern coastal towns of Africa. 
all across the, the northern side of the Mediterranean. You move from Portugal and Spain to Italy to Greece, to the Aegean Sea, to the very end of the Mediterranean, which is where you find this port city of Tyre. And the port city of Tyre was strategically located because it's virtually in the middle of the end of the sea that we call the Mediterranean to this day. That was the capital city. And interestingly enough, this city was at the time mostly known for trade. And the reason I think this is interesting for us is one of the things that we're facing as a nation is this massive trade deficit that we have with China. We used to be the one on the other side of that equation. And so I often wonder when I see these things, the parallels in Scripture, when God is fed up, when God's had enough, when God's trying to get people's attention, very often he takes a blow at the thing that they are most dependent upon. That's certainly the case here with Tyre. Tyre was the commercial capital of the world as far as the variety of goods, the number of things that could be purchased, especially luxury things. Things that you really didn't need, but things that people really wanted to have. This would have been where you would have found Versace and Gucci, Bouglerie. This, this is where you would have found the upper-end stores. There weren't too many Walmarts, not too many Targets. You wouldn't have found a Costco entire. You would have found the things that nobody really needed, but that if you had them, one would say you were prosperous. The friendship between the Jewish people and the Phoenicians ended when King Ahab married the daughter of King Ethabal of Sidon. So this is a sister city just slightly north of Tyre. And you know this union because it was none other than Jezebel. During the time of Joel, Joel records for us in chapter 3, if you want to turn there, verses 4 through 6 that the Phoenicians actually sold the Jewish children as slaves to the Greeks. And so again, there's a similarity. You have rampant materialism. And you have people taking advantage of other people, oppressing them because of their skin color, their nationality. You also had problems with the police force. The police force was actually good. But a few bad apples had spoiled the whole bunch when it came to Phoenicians. And so you had rogue ships that would charge exorbitant taxes. They would catch cargoes leaving the port, take what they wanted. Interesting parallels. Joel chapter 3, verse 4. Indeed, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon, in all the coast of Philistia? Will you retaliate against me? So the Lord's saying, look, are you going to fight me? 
But if you retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I'll return your retaliation upon your own head. God's basically warning him. He says, look, if you're picking a fight with me, you're picking a fight you will not win. No one ever wins a fight with God. Ask Jacob. It'll be turned on your own head because you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried it into your temples, my prized possessions. And also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem you have sold to the Greeks that you may remove them far from their borders. That's the history of this time. So from God's perspective, God is saying, look, there's rebellion in the land. There's lawlessness in the land. There's a lack of authority in the land. There's people taking advantage of other people in the land. And God's saying, you guys keep doing this stuff. And I want you to understand the gold is mine. The silver is mine. The people are mine. And you're fighting a fight that's actually against me because I care about all this stuff. We'll turn our attention part of our time tonight to Ezekiel chapter 26, which gives us a much more detailed picture of this time. Now, before we get there, a little bit about this city, because it's a very important city. And it was a very important city, especially during the time of Alexander the Great. Phoenicia, as it was known then, its capital... Um, in present-day Sur, that's on the, on the coast of Lebanon. According to the writings of the Greek historian Herodotus, they trace back the original settlement of Tyre, just slightly inland, to a period of time that's somewhere in the neighborhood of the 28th century BC, so 2,800 years, so right about the time of the flood. In the 7th century AD, it came in the, under the dominion uh, of the Saracens during the founding of the time of the Prophet Muhammad in Islam. And so you have 3,500 years of history. In the 12th century, it would be taken by the Crusaders. And so this coastal city that's prominent on the Mediterranean for trade had a history of at least 4,000 years. It was so prominent in ancient culture that it drew the attention of Alexander the Great. And as Alexander expands, as he was born to King Philip II in Olympias in 356 BC, as he begins his conquest, uh, finally, uh, as he's in his 20s, and he, he dies at 33, 33 years old in Babylon, Alexander does something at the age of 24 years old that we couldn't verify until 2007. And that was this incredible city of Tyre and its relationship to this strip of land uh, that is talked about in the book of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel says in chapter 26 and verse 12, that they shall come and take your timber and take your stones and cast them into the midst of the sea and they'll scrape the dust and throw it in the midst of the sea. And for centuries, millennia, 
people said that the Bible's not true because this never happened because Tyre has been continuously occupied, at least in that region, for a very, very, very long time. And everybody's going, well, that, that never happened until 2007. What was deemed at that time by the American Archaeological Institute, or the Archaeological Institute of America, as the greatest find in perhaps the last hundred years, they found the actual causeway that was spoken of as Ezekiel speaks of Alexander actually attacking the city of Tyre in this incredible thing that he builds a causeway recorded by Herodotus because they couldn't find it. They figured, well, it's just a, it's a myth. The Bible's not true. They started using ground-penetrating radar and found not only the stones, but some of the timbers and very definitely the soil that used to be on the peninsula. And the reason they know that is there are some developments that are still there that are Roman that had the same soil, and that soil is the soil that is underneath the peninsula. Has no reason to be there. So God's word is reminding us that God has these things under control. Alexander would lay siege. He would be there for almost a year. He would finally take the city, Saladin, during the Crusades, would take it again. It would be destroyed. And in fact, the city walls itself are still visible underneath the ocean, as is part of the causeway. If you look at the modern city today from a satellite, our passage is going to remind us that this place will be uninhabitable, that that. It will not be a place for anything other than the spreading of nets, Ezekiel would tell us in verse 5 of Ezekiel 26. It says that there would be a wall set around this city. Nebuchadnezzar would do that when he laid siege to the city. He would plunder that city. You see, God's reminding us he's actually in control of nations. This incredibly wealthy nation that thought that if it just simply moved its goods offshore, separated itself from the mainland by this place that could only be reached, they thought, by Phoenician ships, which were the best there were, that they would be safe. But when you come against the Lord, you're never safe. You're not ever going to win that battle. And so Tyre is going to fall. The merchants of the earth, Revelation chapter 18, reminds us of this great commercial system of the last days. Every type of thing, every piece of wood, every object of ivory, your Bible says there in Revelation 18, is eventually going to fall. This giant commercial system that will be built up by the Antichrist. And I sometimes wonder, looking at the world, if God isn't bringing America to its knees. I want to just speak to you, and I'm not trying to be too far out there with this. But think about where our economy was four months ago. Think about where it is today. A virus is responsible for that. 
something you can't see. Think about all the other things that have now popped up, which were laying latent underneath the surface, things that we trusted in, our power, our wealth. I, I can't help but wonder if God isn't saying to us, be very careful because you're trusting in your economy. You're trusting in your wealth. You're trusting in your ability to continue these trade partnerships all over the world. You're trusting in everything, but you're not trusting in the Lord Most High. You see, I think America's caught up in commercialism. And I'm not trying to stretch this too far. But I think we trust in things, and sometimes we don't trust in the Lord. Good news is in the kingdom age, when the Lord comes and finally returns to this earth, there won't be a commercial system. You won't need it. He will provide equally for everyone. We'll all share in that kingdom. There'll be no profit. There'll be no gain. There'll be no loss. There'll be no inequity. And so perhaps the Lord is drawing our attention to this for a reason. The Bible goes on to say there in Revelation 18 that they threw dust on their heads and cried out and they wept and they wailed for all of that who had ships that ran on the sea became rich from their wealth in one hour. She is made desolate. This is the fall of commercial Babylon. It's being spoken of. Rejoice over her, O heaven, you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. You see, from God's perspective, he's not really all that thrilled about all the stuff that we have turned our attention to that isn't him. The Phoenicians were very proud. And in fact, they produced the world's only coinage at the time that had ships on it. They were very proud of their navy and their trade. They're believed to be the only ancient people that ever made it around Africa's Cape Horn. They're also believed to have moved most of the goods that transited the Mediterranean or taxed them for a period of almost 500 years. They were trusting in their ability to make money. And yet if you go there today, it's not a prosperous country. It's actually a captive country. It's ruled by proxy. Iran actually runs the country through Hezbollah. God doesn't take very kindly when we abuse other children of God that he's made in, their Im in his image. The Romans occupied this area and built marvelous baths. And as they excavated this land, they took the land from this excavation and they moved it out across that same peninsula that you were looking at. And it's interesting because Ezekiel said, this will never be inhabited. You, you won't ever have a place that you'll find any habitation. And sure enough, if you go there today, the place that used to be ancient Tyre is actually still uninhabited. Even though all around it, it is completely inhabited. 
And so as you think about these things, the prophet Ezekiel fills in some of the pictures, some of the extra pieces of the puzzle. He fills in what Alexander the Great would do. He fills in what Nebuchadnezzar would do. He fills in the fact that this would become a place that would just be for the spreading of nets. He fills in this incredible picture of this causeway that Alexander the Great builds to bring his siege machines out to attack the walls of this fortified seaport called Tyre. Brothers and sisters, any nation that is not for the Lord ultimately is in trouble. And so God now takes up this burden against the Jewish people and Phoenicia because the Jewish people had turned their attention to making sure that they had enlisted the help of the Phoenicians. Verse 2, be still, you inhabitants of the coastland, you merchants of Sidon, whom those who cross the sea have filled And on great waters, the grain of Sihor, the harvest of the river is her revenue. She is a marketplace for the nations. Now think about that for a second. That was what Tyre was known for. She was a marketplace for the nations. How often we talk in this country about our global economy. That it's the largest economy in the world, at least still currently joining us in that place very quickly is is China, of course. Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken, the strength of the sea, saying, I do not labor, nor bring forth children, neither do I rear young men, nor bring up virgins. When the report reaches Egypt, they will also be in agony, at the report of Tyre, in other words, they had trusted in this commercial enterprise and it becomes so costly that through the destruction of the city of Tyre, that there were no adults left to even have children. There were no young people. There, there were no maidens of marriageable age. Cross over to Tarshish, that would be in the coastal regions of Spain. So that's all the way at the other end of the Mediterranean. And wail, you inhabitants of the coastland. They were so prosperous that if you went to the exit, in essence, into the Atlantic Ocean, which is where Tarshish is, there their fall would be great. In other words, this is describing a global situation at that day and time. Is this your joyous city? whose antiquity is from ancient of days. Remember what Herodotus said? 2,800 years B.C. It's from antiquity. Whose feet carried her far off to dwell, made it all the way to Cape Horn, the tip of Africa a sea journey of more than 2,800 miles. Who has taken counsel against Tyre? The crowning city, whose merchants are princes, whose traders are honorable of the earth. In other words, whose chiefs of their city were the rich and famous. 
They headed to their yachts, to their mansions. And again, I'm not speaking of all wealth and all people. I'm simply making the case that they were a commercial city that was known for commercial enterprise in luxury goods that nobody needed, but everybody wanted. Your merchants are princes. Who are our princes today in our country? And I'll use some names, and I don't mean any disrespect. But they are the Jeff Bezos of the world. They are the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world. They are the Bill Gates of the world. The Warren Buffetts of the world. They're billionaires. They're people who are princes, and primarily princes by selling something to someone, very often something that one could say you don't necessarily need. Now, I'm not against Amazon. We get Amazon deliveries at our house fairly regularly. But I will tell you, there's an awful lot of stuff that you can buy by simply picking up your phone that probably nobody needs. Whose traitors are the honorable of the earth? They're the, they're the people when you look for somebody, it's like, man, I want to be like them. The Lord of hosts has purposed it to bring dishonor, the pride of all glory, to bring to dishonor, the pride of all glory. And he's saying, look, I, I'm going to tear down this enterprise to bring contempt to all the honorable of the earth. He says, look, these guys that have made their fortunes, in essence, by taking advantage of other people, selling things that don't keep anybody alive, that don't make life better for most people. Overflow through the land like a river, O daughter of Tarshish, for there is no more strength. And he stretched out his hand over the sea, and he shook the kingdoms. And the Lord has given a commandment against Canaan to destroy its strongholds. Remember the children of Israel by this time had fallen in line with all the gods of the Canaanite peoples that inhabited land before they got there. They're now worshiping Molech. They're now worshiping Baal. They're now worshiping Ashtaroth. They, they go to synagogue on, on Saturday for Shabbat, and they head over and worship the bull god Baal the next day because that's where all the parties are at. And God says, look, I'm stretching out my hand over the sea, and he shook the kingdoms. I remember the sea is very often a, a typology for people, for the kingdoms of the earth. And God's saying, look, I'm shaking the kingdoms of the earth. The Lord's given the commandment to destroy its strongholds. The things that you're fortifying yourself against me in. When you travel to Israel and you travel to the northern end of Israel, you're in sight. In fact, there are trenches in the city of Dan, the ancient Canaanite city of Dan, on the backside of Dan National Park, which is an Israeli national park. There are actually trenches there that were used by the military during the Yom Kippur War because just across the floodplain for the Jordan River is Lebanon, the land of the Phoenicians. And it was there in Dan that the largest altar to Baal that was ever found in the Levant was located. It was a massive structure. 
Sometimes we sit up on the edge of this oak tree and look at where this altar used to sit. The foundation is still there. The walls are not, but they put up a metal representation of it. And God's saying, look, you want to worship Baal? I'm going to tear your city down. You want to worship the Phoenicians? I'm going to cause their trade networks to fall apart. And he said, you will rejoice no more. O you oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon, arise and cross over to Cyprus. There also you'll have no rest. So if you look at the Mediterranean, the largest island that's closest to Israel is the island of Cyprus. Again, a port island. Goods transited left the mainland, the Asiatic mainland. And as they headed out initially across the Mediterranean Sea, before they would head up north either to the Adriatic or the Aegean, they would often land at Cyprus. You're not going to find any peace there either. Behold the land of the Chaldeans, this people which was not. It's the land of the Babylonians. That's the Fertile Crescent. That's that beautiful section of land that's between the Tigris and Euphrates River that the great kings of the Babylonians built their hanging gardens and built the Tower of Babel in that location. That's where Abraham left from Ur. That's where the, the, the threshold of much of the civilization of the Middle East came from. They're not there either. God's making us very aware that mankind wants to exalt itself, but it's really God that's still in charge. He's still in control. This is a people which was not. Assyria founded it for wild beasts of the desert. You say, look, these nations come and go. They set up its towers. They raised up its palaces and brought it to ruin. Wail, you ships of Tarshish, for your strength is laid waste. And so Isaiah sees the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, he sees these peoples as conquerors that would again have their time, but they would eventually be no more. The Phoenicians would be no more. And you could go through your history books of the ancient world and say, where are the Persians? Where are the Medes? Where are the Greeks? Where are the Carthaginians? Where are the Romans? Where are these ancient peoples? They are no more. They have something in common. Not one of them worshipped the true and the living God. And before you say, well, you know, the Romans, fine. Yes, the Romans did under Constantine. He was the first Christian emperor. And they birthed the Roman Catholic Church. And then church became an institution and a government. Where are these peoples? They are no more. The Phoenicians became a byword in human history. Verse 15 goes on and says, Now it shall come to pass in that day. And again, our attention is drawn to the very last days. 
the end of time. A time that the way the world's going, I would absolutely hold out not much longer could be the answer to this. When is it? In that day might be today would be a good way to look at it. The tire will be forgotten for 70 years. According to the days of one king. In other words, there'll be a king that for 70 years will shut off trade. And we'll have to look at history to see if that actually happened. We're going to find out that it did. And at the end of 70 years, it will happen that happened to Tyre. That is, in the song of the harlot, you'll take a harp and go about the city, you forgotten harlot, and make sweet melody and sing many songs that you might be remembered. In other words, it'll be, you'll try and regain your glory. You'll try and get back to the, the beauty you once had, if one could say such a thing. And it shall be at the end of that 70 years that the Lord will deal with Tyre. And she'll return to her hire and commit fornication with all of the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. In other words, that spirit, that commercial spirit, will spread out. Her grain, her pay will be set apart for the Lord. It will not be treasured nor laid up. Her grain will be for those who dwell before the Lord and eat sufficiently and have fine clothing. In other words, God's saying, all this that you have stored up for yourself, I'm going to tear down the commercial system that upholds it, and I'm going to give it to God's people. The earth and the fullness of it is the Lord's. Everything on this earth, whether people like to realize it or not, it doesn't belong to the likes of Bill Gates. It doesn't belong to Mark Zuckerberg. Elon Musk may think he owns Tesla and SpaceX, but it belongs to God. It's all his. And it's only a matter of time before he comes and claims what's his. He's not going to put up with this nonsense forever. And in fact, when you read the psalm, Psalm 45, which is a kingdom psalm, you, you see these things that are being spoken of. You, you could say, you know, David and Solomon make use of the, of the workers and the building materials from, up from Phoenicia and all these things that the Jewish people kind of joined in with, with the Phoenicians and they kind of co-labored together. But basically God's saying... Then the Jewish people started trusting in Phoenicia, and he's a jealous God. That's why the first commandment is what it is. You shall have no other gods before me. There's only one. We're supposed to worship him. But the Psalms in Psalm 45 reminds us that Tyre will keep bringing her gifts and give them to the other nations during the kingdom age. And so God makes a declaration here. He says, look, you may think this is all going well. You may think that you have this thing built up. You may think it belongs to you, but it belongs to me. And if you read Revelation chapter 17 and 18, you're going to see a parallel between Babylon and Tyre in that they're both compared to prostitutes. It's like you sell yourself, but you don't get what you think you're going to get. You're not going to get to keep your riches. And so the joyful citizens of Tyre that used to go out and say, look at this great city that we have. It's awesome. 
It's amazing. And if you look at what's going on here, God's saying, no, it's not awesome. It's not amazing. You're, you're misusing the gifts that I've given you, the, the blessings that are supposed to be used so that people can know about me. You're using them for your own purposes. And so history tells us that the Assyrians for 70 years, from 700 B.C. to 630 B.C., restricted trade. And so for those 70 years spoken of here, Tyre and Sidon would not be involved in the business world. So even that part of this this prophecy about the city of Tyre came true. Isaiah looks ahead and he says the wealth of Tyre is going to be actually saved up for the Lord as an offering. And sometimes I look at the world and, and people will often say, well, you know, just, it's just not right. And, and they're right. It's not right. But here's the amazing thing about God. He's always right. And he's got a plan all the time. And, and so the things that we see going on in our world, it seems like, how do we solve these things? I, I, I watched a little news clip today, and I, I'm, I'm looking at, at what's going on with the rioting and the tearing down of monuments in our country. And I get it. There's some angst. You know, if I could figure out a way to rearrange Stone Mountain in Georgia, I'd probably be all for blasting a new face down there. but we are so out of our minds with rage right now that we're tearing down the statues of abolitionists. How do you tear down the statue of Abraham Lincoln who was shot in the head and died for his stance on freeing slaves? Really? That's kind of gone a little bit awry, don't you think? You see, that's what happens when we start to focus on the wrong solution. The solution is the Lord. The solution is not lawlessness and rage. It's not destruction of property. The solution this country needs to see is Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, we sang the ironic blessing to your children and to their children and to their children. May his face shine upon you. Would he be gracious unto you and give you peace? You see, peace doesn't come from stuff. Peace comes from the Prince of Peace. It comes from the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. And so what can we learn from these burden chapters as we wrap this up? It's taught us some, I believe, important lessons. Number one, God is actually in charge of the nations of the earth. He actually is in charge of the nations of the earth. Make no mistake about it. If you're one of those conspiracy theorists that is expecting that somehow Kim Jong-un is going to be able to nuke the United States of America and God doesn't know about it, shame on you. 
God knows where every nuclear weapon is, every sub is, every warhead is, every soldier is, every gun, every bullet. He knows where everyone is at all times. God's in charge of the nations of the earth. Now, because we can't wrap our heads around how he's going to solve some of these problems does not mean he doesn't have a solution. If he could take Israel after 2,000 years and plant them back in their own land and make them the ninth strongest economy in the world, a country that's one-third the size of San Bernardino County, that has one of the most stable currencies on planet Earth, if God can do stuff like that, I'm pretty sure he can figure some of these other things out. You see, God can do what he pleases, and he does. And he's long-suffering and kind. And exactly as Friedrich von Longau said, quoted by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the mills of God grind slowly, yet they also grind exceedingly small. God is in the details. A second thing that I think we can learn from this is God absolutely hates the sin of pride. You know, there in Proverbs chapter 8, God refers to it really as an abomination. He calls it arrogance. And pride is essentially exalting one's self, in this case, above the Lord. And you could say that that would be probably a classic definition of secular humanism. People without God exalt themselves above the Lord. That's pride in oneself. The nations then were turning against the Lord and they were turning towards false gods. They were turning towards materialism. They were turning towards their own self-sufficiency. They were turning towards their political allegiances. They were turning towards their military. They were turning towards the things of the earth and not towards the heavens. And I pray that we don't make that mistake. I believe there's time in America for us to turn around and go the other way. That's what repentance means. But I also don't believe that God's going to let us continue to thumb our nose at him. As long as we want to continue to kill 650 to 1.5 million children every year through abortion, and as long as we want to exalt one race above another race, as long as we want to speak collectively about whole groups of people as if the individual no longer matters, If we don't come to our senses, I would expect God because he's done it to so many other nations. I would expect God to put America on its knees because it is pride and arrogance that says God doesn't know what he's doing. We can see that in the ancient people's And we better not make the mistake that we're going to be treated differently because we're America. A third thing that I see here is that God actually cares how nations treat other nations. He holds us responsible for our actions. That's why the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome said, as many as have sinned without the law also perish without the law. In other words, we're held into account for the knowledge that we have. There is no nation on this earth that has more knowledge than we do here in America. No nation. 
We have a history that's filled. It is rife with people who have loved the Lord, walked with the Lord, praised the Lord. And now we're becoming a secular nation. We're becoming a post-Christian nation. And in light of that, we've begun to treat other nations as though they don't matter. Other peoples, races. If there was only one nation, effectively, one tribe, Judah, spared of all of the children of Israel, I I think God has in his back pocket the Judah option. It's like, you don't want to turn around. I'm going to make you nothing. But I love the way this ends. Because God always gives a word of promise and a word of hope. He never leaves us hopeless. He doesn't leave us in that place to where it's like, oh no, all is lost. Because if you watch the news right now, I'm just going to encourage you, turn your TV off. There's no place that you can go right now where you're going to get the truth. It's all spun one way or another. Where we need to be going is vertical. We need to be going to the Lord. God has a word of hope for his people because even though Babylon is going to fall, the Phoenicians will fall, the Assyrians will fall, the ten northern tribes known as Ephraim or Israel will fall, Judah is going to be spared. Why? Because they followed the Lord. They were faithful to God. They weren't perfectly faithful, but they were faithful. And the good news is that God's even going to bring back Assyria and Egypt and the Jewish people together. We saw that back in chapter 19. One day they're going to be a threefold cord that can't be broken. And so no matter how frightening and crazy our national or international news is, no matter what's going on in the world, God still has a word of hope. He's still the God that Psalm 2 verse 4 says, he scoffs, he literally laughs as he sits in the heavens when he looks at the nations of the earth because we're going, ah, we got this, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. This is how it's going to go. It's all under our control. It's going to be what we make it. And God's going, no, it's not. You may think that. And so when the Lord of heaven and earth is your heavenly father, you you can take that yoke upon you, that burden that's light, and you can wear it and know that God actually has a plan. He does have it under control. We don't have anything to fear in that sense, but we have work to do. We have work to do. When we get done with this COVID lockdown, when we get to a place to where we can actually have some meaningful dialogue about race relations in this country, when we can stop screaming and yelling at each other, the church ought to be learning something right now, and that is this is the time when we need to tell people about Jesus. Because he's the only answer to what ails this earth. 
It isn't going to be one of the 2,000 plus gods of Hinduism. It's not going to be a capricious God known as Allah that wills to do whatever he wills to do. It's going to be the Lord of heaven and earth, the gracious king. It's going to be the one who died for us so that we might live for him. And so church, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of this earth will become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Father, we thank you that in spite of all of the insanity that has gripped our nation and this world, the hatred, the violence, the racism, the racial tension, the inequity, the injustice, in spite of the pain of loss, the destruction and chaos and lawlessness, in spite of all these things that we're facing right now, you have lost none of your power. You still alone are able, and by you and through you we can accomplish all things as you strengthen us. As Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, that grace that we have is sufficient that when we are weak, you are strong. And so, Lord, we thank you for the power that we have of the Holy Spirit to endure these things as good soldiers. We pray that you'd make us a mighty army, Lord, as we come out of this situation that we're in right now that is admittedly very, very troubling. It's frightening at times. That you'd make us a powerful weapon for your grace, for your goodness. I pray for those tonight that are listening. Maybe they tuned in, Lord, and they have heard about this Jesus. You, Jesus, came to this earth to die specifically for our sins that we might have eternal life. You died on Calvary's cross. You were raised three days later. You lived so we can live. And if we'll believe in you by faith, you'll save us. You'll forgive our sins. Write our names in the Lamb's book. I pray for anyone that's heard that good news and wants to receive you tonight, God, that they would simply open up their heart to you and invite you in. We thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for sparing us, Lord. And we pray that this time would be used in our lives for your glory. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.